This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. Hi, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters, a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. man, this is the kind of night that defines the word paradise. A calm pond reflecting rugged, sheer-walled peaks of the Brooks Range. I am watching one of the North Country's best-known and most intriguing wild animals, a creature that's known for its unique appearance, its complex and genius way of living. Sometimes these critters are admired, and sometimes they're disliked for their impact on the neatly managed rural and suburban environments, especially in the lower 48 states. Probably no other wild animal anywhere in the world has affected the history of a continent as significantly as this one did on the American and Canadian frontiers. Oh, did you hear it? What you're hearing is a tail slap by an animal that's often called nature's engineer and hydrologist, the fascinating, endearing, one-of-a-kind beaver. I am standing atop an embankment about 30 feet high. I'm looking down right now into clear water at a beaver that's just floating along very, very tranquil and languid on this calm water, as if it's savoring this evening just as much as I am. Very buoyant. I can see its little round ears. I can see the little shining ebony droplet eyes. The beaver's a good-sized animal. It's, in fact, the largest member of the rodent family in North America. Adult beavers, and we're looking at one right now, are pretty good-sized critters, about three to four feet long. They can weigh 40 to 70 pounds. Beavers live for 10 to 15 years in the wild, and they keep growing throughout their lives, so they can get really huge. Very old beavers have been weighed at up to 100 pounds. Can you imagine a rodent of that size? Quite an animal. But these are actually midgets compared to the giant beavers that lived here during the Pleistocene Ice Age. Those beavers were up to nine feet long and weighed almost 800 pounds. Well, the modern beaver is a tremendously successful animal. Beavers live all around the lower 48 states and Canada, the only places they're not found in the deep south and in the dry deserts. They also don't live on the treeless tundra of the far north up in the Arctic. Other than that, they're very widespread. Here in Alaska, they live in all the forested parts of the state, from the southeast coast all the way up to where we are tonight here in the Brooks Range. Incidentally, there's another species of beaver that lives in Europe and northern Asia. Those animals look absolutely identical to ours, but there's an interesting difference. They never build dams. Those beavers over in Eurasia were hunted nearly to extinction, but they're now being reestablished in a lot of European countries where they had either disappeared or become very scarce. 
Well, the beaver, like the one that's swimming along underneath the bank here right now, is a marvel of evolution and ecological adaptation. They're built, as we all know, to be amphibious. Now, looking down at our beaver, it has a sleek, long body, shaped a lot like a seal. I can also see it paddling with its big, dark, webbed hind feet. Beavers can stay submerged for 15 to 20 minutes, so they're pretty darn good underwater, and they're not bad on land either. Although they waddle along fairly slowly, they can go up to 100 yards or so from the water. Their front paws are different. They're not webbed. I was watching this beaver a little while ago, right down here under the bank. It came out onto the shore, and it was working on young willows, bending them down, holding onto them with its little hand-like front paws. It has long, sharp claws there. Looking out across the way, I see that another one of the beavers in this pond has just come up out of the water. I'm walking along the bank here to get a little bit closer to it. Now it's right down here below me, and I can see the very rich coat, shiny chestnut brown fur, long, thick fur. Now underneath that outer fur is a thicker, softer coat of under fur. The beavers have to constantly groom that fur so that it traps insulating air, and that's the key for the beaver keeping warm in the frigid water here in the far north, a place where it gets down to 50, 60, 70 below zero in the winter. Also during occasional winter and spring forays out onto the snow-covered land. They've got to have good fur to stay alive in this environment. Koyukon Indian people have a tradition of telling riddles. They're often metaphors about the world around them. And here's one for you that relates to the beaver. It starts this way. Wait, I see something. I drag my shovel along the trail. Do you know what that is? Of course, it's the beaver with its broad, flat tail, up to about a foot long. I'm looking down at this beaver right now, sitting on the shore, and I can see that tail. It's bare, it's very black-colored, and it's scaly. It's sort of reptilian-looking. It looks like a paddle, and it's used as a rudder while they're swimming, and this beaver up on the shore also uses it as a prop. It's sitting on its hind legs, and it's got that tail stretched out behind it like a tripod. Very important when they're gnawing on trees, that extra appendage. The tail, if you cut through it, is almost pure fat. It stores fat to keep the beaver alive through those lean times. It's also an excellent signaling device. They slap the water, to warn other beavers when there's danger around. Let me tell you a few other things about the beaver's adaptation to life in the water. They can pinch their nostrils and their ear openings shut to keep the water out. They also have transparent membranes that cover their eyes when they're underwater, like a built-in diving mask. Another thing they can do when they're swimming along with a stick in their mouth, or when they're chewing their food down underwater, or cutting food while they're submerged, they can draw their lips tightly shut behind their front teeth, and that keeps the water out of their mouth. The front teeth, those incisor teeth, are very long, flattened, sharp. They're like chisels. And the front of them is covered with a dark orange enamel. Those upper and lower incisors grind against each other as the beaver eats, as it gnaws on trees, and that grinding keeps the teeth very sharp. Incidentally, those front teeth on a beaver have to grow continuously. Otherwise, the teeth would get shorter and shorter from all the wear of the grinding and gnawing that they do. Very few animals in the world have the beaver's ability 
to reshape the environment in which they live. Their survival depends on having water all year round that's deep enough so it doesn't freeze to the bottom in the winter. Now just imagine this place, how thick the ice must get here during a severe winter. They also need water in order to get around, to find their food, and to stay safe from predators. We see our beavers, there's several of them visible right now, and they're out along the margins of this very large pond they've created. It's many acres in size. They need this in order to stay alive. This is why beavers build dams across shallow creeks and rivers. Now I'm walking along the bank, and just here, almost straight below me now, is the dam that has created this beaver pond. It's probably about 40 yards long. It's not straight. It kind of goes and bends and curves. It's created by pushing sticks down into the stream bed and then building that barrier up with a thick mortar of mud and gravel and interwoven branches. This dam has to be constantly maintained in order to keep the water at the same level because it's so critical to the beaver's survival. Then the beavers will go around the edge of the pond, cut trees for food, keep it open. They'll maintain and expand the dam and the pond for many generations. I know for a fact from talking with Jack Rekoff, a trapper in the nearby community of Wiseman, I know that this dam and pond have been here for at least 20 years. Now some beaver dams are huge, up to a thousand feet long, 15 to 20 feet high. Once beavers have made this dam, they may keep enlarging it and enlarging it because as the pond grows, it constantly expands the area in which the beavers can feed. They need that because they're cutting the shrubbery for food all around the edges, and they'll eat themselves out of house and home unless they add more and more area. Well, of course, the other feat of engineering is the beaver lodge, and we're going to go down this bank, and it's very, very steep gravel, almost vertical. I'm hoping we don't go pinwheeling down this thing head over heels. Going down past some young willow bushes here, beautifully trimmed off by the beavers. I don't know how in the heck they can climb up this steep slope. Going down now into a, a little patch of spruce trees. And the lodge, it's like a little peninsula that sticks out here. Now this lodge would have started out as the beavers just made a platform of mud and sticks. And then they'll add on to that more sticks, more mud, building it up higher and higher until it's a big dome-shaped thing. It's not hollow when it's first made. What happens then is the beavers go inside here and they hollow it out. They burrow and gnaw their way inside and they make it into a structure a bit like a mud and stick igloo. Typically a beaver lodge is about 15 feet in diameter, maybe 6 feet high. Now this lodge measures probably about that high off the water, but let me tell you this thing is enormous. I'm walking out actually onto it and it's all covered with dry sticks and poles. You can hear the sound of that wood, and then it's mud all over the top. Oh, here's some brand new muddy wet vegetation. They just keep adding on, and I suppose they've been doing this for a long time because this lodge is absolutely enormous. It's probably about 40 feet across, 
and about 20 feet wide. It's a great big monster of a thing. So you can see that generations of beaver energy have gone into making this thing. Anyway, the beavers will use this lodge all year round, and it lasts for many years. Usually the lodge has two underwater entrances. These are tunnels that slope up from down there underneath the surface, and I've been watching the beavers going in and out of here. I know exactly where one of their entrances is located. Then it slopes up into a feeding room and a separate living or nesting room. So two rooms usually inside the beaver lodge. Those things, of course, are above the water level. There's always an airway that comes up through the top of a beaver's house. And in the wintertime, you can see sometimes steam from the beaver's warm bodies and breath coming out through that air hole. Beavers living in deeper rivers and lakes, incidentally, often don't have a lodge at all. They'll dig dens into the dirt in the bank, and they'll live in there, again with an underwater entrance. Now, when freezing weather comes, Beavers will be here plastering mud all around the outside of their lodge, and that, when it freezes, gets hard, just like concrete, something that's almost impenetrable by predators. Even bears would have a hard time digging down through this mass of lumber and mud that the beavers have created here. But beavers are vulnerable, especially to one water predator. That's the river otter. The otter can swim down under and come up through that entrance. Now that's why the beavers usually make two entrances, because it also means they have two exits. If the otter comes in one way, they can slip out the other way. They'll also put up a good fight, especially if they're protecting their young inside this lodge. Beavers also, as I mentioned, go out on the land, and that makes them vulnerable to their main predator, the wolf. They're also caught out on shore by bears, lynx, wolverines, coyotes. Now, in the fall time, beavers will stash great big piles of fresh branches in the water right outside their lodge, and that's what they're going to live on in the wintertime. Favorite foods are the bark and the small branches of aspen, poplar, willow, birch. Think about this. All winter long, beavers live in nearly absolute darkness. They're inside the den here, so it's pitch black in there, or they're out underneath the snow-covered ice where it's also going to be pitch dark. They swim out of the lodge to get branches from the feed pile here, bring them back in, and that's where they'll feed. Beavers, of course, are famous for their logging skills, and we got good evidence of that right over here. We're going to cross along this side hill. There's a bit of a spring that comes out here and we're gonna we're gonna muck our way across this very muddy hillside to oh, almost went down in that mud here's a tree that was cut by a beaver you can't mistake it for anything else beautifully sculpted tooth marks and they show you how sharp those incisors are on the beaver as if an expert has chiseled this tree down this tree was about six inches diameter, and they've chiseled it down till there was about one inch diameter piece of wood holding the tree up, and then it fell. All around the base of it are these very dry chips, big stack of them down here under this trunk. This is pretty fresh cutting here, and down here in the water, right below the little trickle that's coming in, is the tree itself, all the branches neatly nipped off and the trunk left here at the edge of the water. So there's the beaver's wonderful skills as loggers. However, it's worth saying that beavers are not clever enough to aim the direction that the tree falls. So sometimes 
beavers are actually killed when they're cutting a great big tree, maybe a couple of feet in diameter, it can sometimes fall on them and crush them. So they're not perfect loggers. They're very powerful animals, incidentally. They can drag a heavy log a long ways through the woods to get it down into the water and bring it over here to their feed pile. Beavers are active mostly in the morning, at night, and in the evening. In the daytime, they snooze in their lodge or their bank den. Oh my goodness, a beaver has just now come out of the house, and there's another one actually coming down along the bank. I hadn't noticed until just now. Coming along, they're approaching each other. They're actually very close together, or they're going to be real soon. The beaver's social life centers around the family, the mother, the father, the offspring. The male and the female beaver made for life, and they are monogamous, very much like our own cultural ideal. And in the case of the beavers, the female is in charge. She's the head of the family. She establishes this home site, and she is the one who stays if the male dies. If the female dies, the male is likely to move somewhere else. Now our two beavers are coming very close together. They're only a few feet apart, and now they're kind of circling each other. Actually, oh, just listen to this. You hear those voices? Listen. They're touching. They're only about 15 feet away from me right now. They've actually touched muzzles as if they were kissing, and now it's kind of like they're talking to each other. This is a large beaver and a small one that have come together. Beavers mate during the long winter nights. Three or four little kit beavers are born in the spring or the early summer. I can imagine there could be little kits right inside this beaver lodge here right now. And when they're first born, the beavers are already covered with soft fur, their eyes are open, they can swim immediately, and they are unthinkably cute. The young ones usually stay with their parents for two to three years, and I suspect what we've got here is the old parent beaver, the male or the female, and the younger one that's now trailing along right behind the adult. This must be one of the young of last year. The young beavers usually stay with their parents for two or three years, so there's often three generations in the lodge and as many as six to twelve beavers. I can see three of them out in the pond right now. Koyukon people, whose homeland I'm in right now, are experts on the beaver. They say that the beavers get skinny from working so hard in the fall time, but unlike many other animals, during the winter they live so well, relaxing in the lodge, going out and getting chow from the feed pile, that they actually put on fat as the winter goes along. Now by the second or third spring, young beavers are going to leave home. So possibly this one that's right in front of me with the older beaver right now is going to take off pretty soon, leave this place forever. They'll travel long distances by land or water looking for a mate. And if they find a mate, they'll team up and they'll go find a place to start a new colony. But it's a very dangerous time for those young beavers. A lot of them get killed by predators. Now the parents are going to stay here. This is their original home territory. Eventually they run out of the trees and shrubs and the other food they need and they've got to move somewhere else or starve. This explains why we see many abandoned beaver houses all around interior Alaska. Now the one that's being used, like this one right here, has very little green vegetation growing on top. The beavers are up here nibbling that away, keeping it cleared off. Once the house is abandoned, it's quickly covered with willows and other vegetation. So you can tell right away that it's not an active beaver house. Beavers probably have more effect on the environment than any other wild animal. 
by making these ponds, by cutting down trees and shrubs around the edges, beavers are creating wetlands and they're creating openings in what might otherwise be an unbroken forest. These are wonderfully diverse habitats. They attract a large number of other species. Little things like insects, frogs. There's a lot of wood frogs in this pond and actually if you listen carefully you'll hear them occasionally in the background sound a little bit like quacking ducks. Speaking of ducks, we have pintail and shoveler ducks. We have American widgeons and the one you're hearing in the background right now, green winged teal and there are also some common mergansers. There are also white-crowned sparrows around here. You've been hearing in the background several kinds of warblers, the yellowlegs, a kind of shorebird, many, many kinds of other birds from sparrows to eagles, and then mammals of every size from tiny voles to mink all the way up to great huge animals. In fact, earlier I saw two moose at the far edge of this beaver wetland. Beaver ponds are also great places for fish. There are lots of graylings in this particular pond. Also, burbot here, a northern pike. Now here's something absolutely fascinating. Before Europeans arrived, it's estimated that up to 200 million beavers lived just in the lower 48 United States. Now imagine millions upon millions of beaver dams and ponds each with its own surrounding rich wetland meadow and thickets. Wetlands created by beavers may in fact have covered more than 300,000 square miles in pre-Columbian America. This means that something like a tenth of the total land area was a rich wetland thanks to these amazing animals. So beavers had created a checkerboard pattern of rich ecological diversity across the whole face of North America. Well, beavers, of course, in addition to their ecological effects, have been important for human beings because they've been hunted and trapped by Native American people for thousands of years. Here in Alaska, beavers were taken with ingenious deadfalls, snares, also bows and spears. Nowadays, People still take beavers with steel traps and wire snares. Village people all around interior Alaska are highly skilled at trapping beavers, at stretching, cleaning, drying the pelts, which they often sell to commercial buyers, or they'll use those dense, warm hides to make beautiful parkas, boots, mittens, clothing trim. When I lived with Gwich'in and Koyukon people, I had lots of chances to experience another important part of the beaver in human society, and that is the tasty, tender, nutritious beaver meat. And I am telling you, it is really a treat. Boiled, roasted in the oven, cooked over a campfire, best of all. Also, people love to eat that rich, fatty beaver tail. Put it on a stick, roast it over the fire. That's a good food for cold weather. That fat will keep you warm. Koyukon people, in their own language, call the beaver noya or gaga. Gaga simply means animal, which I think underscores the importance of this creature in their traditions and in their economy. Importantly, Koyukon elders teach that the beaver has a powerful and sensitive spirit. People should always talk respectfully about the beaver, they say. They should treat the trapped animal in special ways that honor that spiritual power. If you don't do that, the elders say, they'll avoid your traps and you'll run out of your luck. For example, when people cut a beaver carcass to use it as meat. It's done without severing the neck, and that's a way the elders teach to show respect for the spirit of the beaver. 
There's also an old Koyukon tradition of putting the bones of a beaver back in the water. And the person is supposed to say, Tonon Letzich, when they do that. It means be made again in the water so that the reincarnated spirit of the beaver will come back. In other words, the beavers will come back to your traps because you've treated it properly. Well, when Europeans colonized North America, the quest for these animals, for the pelts of beavers, lured frontiersmen and entrepreneurs ever westward into the United States and Canada. At the center of all this was the Hudson's Bay Company, established in 1670. Outposts of the company gradually spread westward across the Canadian North, eventually all the way to Alaska. For example, Fort Yukon was a Hudson Bay trading post in northern Alaska. It was established in 1847 to trade with Gwich'in people who were then and who still are great trappers. The pelts of many of these beavers from all over North America were sent to Europe and they were used especially to make beaver felt hats that were hugely popular in the 1700s and the 1800s. Throughout North America, tens of millions of beavers were taken. Interestingly, another part of the beaver was very valuable back then. That is the oil from a gland at the base of the beaver's tail. It's called castorium. It was used as a base for perfume and also as a medicine. That castorium oil contains salicylic acid that comes from the willow in the diet of the beaver. And our beaver has now gone up again, right up onto the dam here, and it's nibbling away at the plant in question. It's nibbling away at willow. Salicylic acid found in willow is also the main ingredient in aspirin. Well, with all that heavy exploitation, by 1850, beavers had become rare or had completely vanished in much of North America. Since about the 1940s, there have been concerted efforts to protect beavers and to rebuild populations. Beavers have also been reintroduced back into places where they had vanished. This has been an enormous success. Beavers are rodents. What do rodents do? They multiply. The beaver population has grown tremendously in most of the United States and Canada. It's still nowhere near the abundance that it had during pre-European times, but Thousands of new beaver ponds and beaver wetlands have reappeared, and there's more coming every year as beavers repopulate their original homeland. Our two beavers now swimming right across in front of me, so buoyant, and moving their heads back and forth, seem to be looking this direction, then looking another direction. Beavers, when they create these wetlands and ponds, they're providing an invaluable service. Of course, it's very important for wildlife, also for erosion control and for water conservation. Look at ponds like this and think what they do. It's like having millions of little workers all over the continent making dams to store up water. This is especially important in the mountains and in the arid lands of the American West, where there's really been a concerted effort to rebuild beaver populations. But at the same time, as you may know from the news, beavers can also create a lot of problems when their ponds flood farmlands, flood roads, tree plantations, flood suburban lawns. People get really grumpy about this. There are constant battles between folks who are breaking down beaver dams during the daytime and at night the beavers are out repairing them. A lot of ingenuity has gone into creating special drains to keep the water from getting any higher in beaver ponds. The beavers then are out there trying to figure out how they can plug those drains and flood every larger areas. There are also endless debates in America today over killing beavers when everything else fails. These conflicts 
I think can be taken as a sign that things are going very well for one of the craftiest, the most energetic, the most intriguing creatures that share a place in our world. And I think we might also take a lesson from the beaver. Consider it. Their works, just like our own, have dramatically changed the ecological landscape of North America. But beavers have done it in ways that enrich the environment, that increase the diversity of wild species, and that add immeasurably to the quality of our own lives. Oh, did you hear that? A slap of the tail. As one of the beavers went down, the other still floating around. Boop, now it goes down. Well, I think I'm gonna hang out here, watch this family of beavers at work in a place that is as beautiful, as wild, as pristine as it was on the day of creation. Surrounded by the Brooks Range, right at the edge of Gates of the Arctic National Park. I ought to say, I think, a word of thanks to these hardworking beavers for sharing a little bit of their life with us tonight. And thanks so much to you for your good company. For Encounters, I'm Richard Nelson. I'll see you next time. Encounters is a production of the Island Institute and KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. This program was written and narrated by Richard Nelson, edited by Ken Fate, and produced by Lisa Bush. Theme music by Outback. Encounters is funded by the National Science Foundation, the Alaska Conservation Foundation, the Kenneth Johnson Family Foundation, Jerry Tone, Martha Wyckoff, Sue Cohen, Robert Osborne, the Skaggs Foundation, and the Scott A. Nathan Charitable Trust. To find out more information about Encounters, visit us on the web at EncountersNorth.org.